You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show once again. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Grayley, Colorado. It is July 14th, 2021. Also, a Wednesday, episode 164 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, episode 99 of season three alone. Today, we're going to talk about the latest book, at least the latest book I know of, by Jocko Willink, Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. This book was published last January, January of 2020. I just picked it up here a couple of months ago or a month ago, thereabouts, and I just finished it yesterday. It was very good. Not a terribly long read, but very good. A great follow-up to two other books that he helped to co-write, the first being Extreme Ownership, published 2015 with Leif Babin, his fellow Navy SEAL, and the other being The Dichotomy of Leadership, Balancing the Challenges of Extreme Ownership to Lead and Win, also co-authored with Leif Babin, published 2018. But before we get into talking about the book, I want to tell you a story from last night. So last night, it's Tuesday night, and the women in our small group take turns getting together. The men alternate back and forth. The men will meet one Tuesday night. The women will meet the next, then the men, then the women, then the men, then the women. So last night it was the women's turn to meet. They got together over at Panera Bread, had a great conversation, it sounds like. We were able to encourage one another. And meanwhile, us men were staying home with our children. And it's always interesting. Bedtime, mealtime, chore time with mom out of the house, out of the equation. It always changes the dynamics significantly, at least in our house, probably in most every house. You can tell when there is a shift in the understanding, we'll put it that way, the understanding that your children have when it's just mom, when it's mom and dad, when it's just dad, when you have other guests who come into the house, family, friends, strangers, the dynamic changes and children will pick up on this. They're very intuitive. Children are. You might not always think that they would understand these things, but they pick up on these things intuitively. And so last night we're trying to get mealtime, and then it just so happened we still had some leftover cake from Benjamin Bergman's, I think, I think Ben is short for Benjamin. I guess I assume Ben Bergman. He goes by Ben. I'll call him Ben. Ben Bergman's birthday party that our second to youngest son, Enoch, went to on Saturday. He was so excited. He was so happy to be invited. Thank you again, Bergman's, for having him over. He made his day. He made his week, actually. But they sent us home with some cake because they don't have as big of a family as we do. They didn't want quite that much sugar for their three young kids. We've got seven, including two teenagers now, so we can handle it. But 
we have a bunch of cake or had a bunch of cake, maybe a third of it left. And I said, okay, everybody who finishes their soup in a timely manner so that we can get into chores and not have too late of a bedtime, everybody who gets their soup eaten can have a piece of cake. Everybody very expeditiously finished their soup, except for our very youngest, our three-year-old, John Lazarus. John did not quite finish his soup. He didn't have much left, but he didn't quite finish it. And he wanted cake. He actually kind of wandered away from the table, and then he came back, and he saw we were all going to have cake. And I said, well, no, son, you got to finish your soup. If you just finish this last two bites, then you can have some cake. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I had not pleased him when I told him that. I broke his little heart. He was upset. He was frustrated with me. And I think what he was expecting was that if he cried enough, if he threw enough of a little fit, not a big fit, but a little fit, if he threw enough of a fit for long enough, I would relent and I would give him the piece of cake and just forget about the whole soup business because who can eat soup when there's cake on the table? But I maintained, no, this is what it is. That's what I said. And you can have some cake. Absolutely. You just have to finish these two bites. And every time I would reinforce it, he would break into renewed grief and wander away from the table. And then three minutes later, he'd come back and he'd say, cake again. He'd try again to see if maybe I had softened at all by his tears. And I would say very calmly, no, son, you've got to eat your soup. You can have cake, but you have to eat your soup first. And then again, right? And this happened several times. And I just let it go, right? Like, let him do that. I can't reward it. If I reward that, I'm going to get more of it. I don't want more of that. I want less of that. But I'm not going to blow up, and I'm not going to discipline him other than just to say, no, this is the standard, get on board, or don't have cake. That's your option. You don't have to have cake. If you're really full, you don't have to have cake, but you're not going to have cake. (laughs) So that aside, what ended up happening is I gave everybody a much smaller piece than they really wanted to have. My older boys especially kept trying to negotiate with me for a larger piece of cake. And I said, no, you know what? If we don't eat two bigger pieces, we'll still have some tomorrow. And the cake will keep. It's not going to go bad if we wait until tomorrow to finish it off. But I don't want you guys super sugared up. I want you to have, you know, a moderate, like it's a decent piece of cake, but there's a lot of sugar. And it's close enough to bedtime to where I could debate should we really be having cake at all? So now we're going to have a smaller piece of cake and that's that. But it just so happened that either I gave my daughter a bigger piece of cake than I gave her brothers or she just didn't have as much of an appetite for it. She just didn't want as much cake. Go figure. Her brothers all wanted twice as much cake as I gave them. <clears throat> but Evelyn Grace Mullet wanted half as much cake. As I had given her. So she only ate half of her piece of cake. And then she made a face and said, You know what? I'm done. Like she was kind of scrunched up her nose and looked at me like, Is that okay? 
I said, oh, that's fine, right? If you don't want to finish your cake, you don't have to. And whether it was her idea, whether it was my idea, she asked if anybody else wanted to finish her last little piece of cake, last little bit of cake. Oh, man. Talk about volunteers. All of a sudden, everybody's on board. John especially. But, of course, again, I had to say to John, no, sorry, you can have it if you... Finish your soup. Oh, okay. Here we go again. But I said, well, wait a second. Okay. All right. Everybody wants what's left of Evelyn's cake, but not everybody can have what's left of this. How about this? Whichever of you boys get your chores finished, your mealtime chores, because each of them, each of the four older boys have mealtime chores. Whichever of you gets your mealtime chores finished first can finish this what's left of Evelyn's cake. Oh boy. Okay. Now they're now they're motivated. If they were kind of dragging their feet before in no particular hurry, now they're on it. And so <clears throat> then it was a question of okay, well what am I going to do? Right? Enoch and John, they could stand to get ready for bed, get them all dressed, get them into pajamas. And they don't have mealtime chores just yet. They're five and three, so give it time. But they need to get ready for bed, and I am going to have to go upstairs to get their clothes, get a diaper for John, all that good stuff, get them brushing their teeth, using the restroom, all that. And so I say, okay, as if to add an extra dimension to this scenario, I say, all right, Evelyn, you are the judge. I've got the boys coming to me. They're rushing to get their chores done before I go upstairs. They're in that much of a hurry. And I say, okay, nope, you know what? Hey, I'm not going to be the judge of whose chore is finished. Evelyn gets to be the judge of who has finished their chore. Ask Evelyn. Boy, howdy. You'd have thought I had dropped a piece of chum in shark-infested waters. Because all of a sudden, when I come upstairs with the two two youngest boys, it is just pandemonium downstairs. Yelling and loud, trying to argue that, no, it is done. And, oh, Evelyn, come check my work and all this stuff. And I can hear Evelyn. She's able to hold her own. I can be heard over the fray. You know, towing the line, saying, hey, this is what it is. No, it's not finished. You didn't wipe that part there. No, you didn't sweep over here. No, <clears throat> you still have a mess on this part of the counter, et cetera, et cetera. And I won't go into all of the detail because I don't want to embarrass certain of my children. But let's just say one of my sons was brought to tears by dear, sweet seven-year-old Evelyn. Evelyn was so efficient and so effective in maintaining a high standard, a higher standard than our boys are typically accustomed to uh, being held to in the accomplishing of their chores, that one of my boys was reduced to tears out of frustration because, and I quote, I just want a piece of cake. So why am I telling you this story? We're going to talk about Jocko Willink's 
book from last January, Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. And it's relevant to the progression of thought, which Jocko Willink and Leif Babin have been very helpful in my developing as a father, as a husband, as a employee, as a friend, as a person who is in many different spheres in life. And some of them I have hard influence and some of them I have soft influence in. Sometimes I am officially recognized as a leader and I am aware of that. And in others of those, my leadership is more behind the scenes. It's more understated. It's not an official capacity. It's just a factor of influence that I am able to exert on the people around me by my stepping up to the plate and providing an example. But it's interesting as I'm trying to cultivate in my children in light of these things that I'm learning and I'm thinking about, I'm turning over in my head from Willink's book, the phrase that discipline equals freedom comes to mind where what Willink means is that when we are disciplined, when we are self-controlled, when we are aware of our actions and their ramifications, when we have our attitude in check, when we have our ego in check, when we are intelligent, not intelligent, but diligent, I suppose intelligent too, when we are intentional, that's the word I was looking for, intentional in our planning, and not just hoping, and not just leaving everything to chance, but when we're intentional in making specific plans to accomplish certain worthwhile tasks at an excellent level, we get freedom in that. We obtain a reward. There is a benefit to that. It pays off in giving us room to maneuver, in giving us credibility, in giving us a standing to accomplish things that we want to accomplish. And when we're not disciplined, what we find is that We're constantly having to go back, go back, go back, go back. And there's a lot of lost motion in trying to redo, 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 redo. And so last night, I'm thinking about this in relation to my daughter being a very effective judge of her brother's work. And even at one point, on the encouragement of one of her brothers who was trying to stall for time on the accomplishing of his chores, was giving her suggestions on how she could be more strict or more precise in her judging of his brothers. And so Evelyn checked underneath the table. So one of the chores at mealtime after the meal is over is to clear the table and wipe it down and also wipe down the table chairs and the benches. And wouldn't you know it, Underneath the table doesn't get wiped very often unless you specifically say, hey, let's make sure we wipe under the table as well. Let's make sure we wipe the legs of the table. Let's make sure we wipe the legs of the chairs and the benches. And so Evelyn checks whether under the table is clean. And lo and behold, it is not. So she tells her brother who's in charge of that, wipe underneath the table as well. It's dirty. She moves the trash can because the trash can needs to be swept underneath and behind. And I hear this continual going back and going back and going back. Okay, is that good enough? Is that good enough? Is that good enough? Is that good enough? Check again, check again, check again. It is clean. 
And then I hear this phrase that absolutely floored me. And I was not pleased to hear it. And I had to sit everybody down and have a a bit of a staff meeting. You are a terrible judge. It was said loud and clear and more than once by one of my boys to my daughter. One of my boys who just wanted some cake. He told my daughter she is a terrible judge. So then I'm thinking about this in light of some things that Jocko Willink keys in on at the tail end of leadership strategy and tactics, where he talks about ego, and he talks about the need to check our ego, and if we don't check our ego, we will have unnecessary strife and static with the people that we work with. We might be highly proficient, highly competent very skilled people in our job. But if we have an ego the size of Texas and that ego is constantly bumping up against the egos of people that we work with, perhaps even people that are overseeing us, we're going to have problems. And the full effect of our competence in and of itself will be greatly diminished by virtue of this lost motion of petty games where our ego is challenged by somebody else's ego their ego is challenged by our ego and now we're doing things for no other reason than just to reassert our foolish pride and so then I had to call my son up because he was pretty frustrated he was pretty frustrated about his sister not accepting his chore as being complete he wanted that piece of cake I call him up and I say, hey, what's going on? She's a terrible judge. I said, okay, well, here's the deal. As a rule in life, never insult the judge if you want the judge to rule in your favor. Okay, that's point number one. In all cases, in every circumstance, don't insult the judge if you want the judge to rule in your favor. Well, but she is a terrible judge. I said, you know what, that's not the point. It's not even necessarily true, but even if it were the truth, that's not the point. You're wasting so much motion trying to tell her that she's a bad judge, and what are you expecting to get out of that? What should you expect to get out of that? Should you expect that she is going to all of a sudden lower her standards and say, yep, you're right, I am a terrible judge. That's why I'm going to let you bully me. That's why I'm going to let you disrespect me in front of all of the other people that I'm supposed to be judging as well. No. If she was going to be tough on you before, just wait. She's going to be extra strict now, now that you've offended her. I told him, as a rule in life, if somebody is being extra critical of your work, you should try to see it from their point of view. If there is more that could be done, you could do a better job. Step up and focus your energy in that direction instead of focusing your energy in the direction of trying to argue with this person who's critiquing your work. Benefit from the critique. That's another big lesson from Willink's books and his podcasting that I've listened to. Take every piece of critical feedback and consider it. Put that in to your equation when you're trying to figure out how to improve your process. Because either A... You haven't done a thorough job, 
and you should do a more thorough job or the manner in which you've communicated the job that you have done is not effective and you need to work on that. I think this whole idea that Willink is tapping into of extreme ownership, responsibility, putting your ego to the side, focusing on the success of your team, whatever your team is. In my case, I'm thinking specifically about my family and about the workplace and about people that I collaborate with in writing, in podcasting. I'm thinking about people that I am doing ministry with at church. I'm thinking about a lot of different spheres in which the success of the team needs to be a higher priority than me maintaining a high ego. And sometimes my high ego is going to prevent me, if I'm not careful, from jumping in there and contributing because I'm afraid of looking stupid and I'm afraid of looking dumb. Sometimes a big ego is going to cause me to see conflict or potential conflict where there doesn't need to be any, where I could just shrug and say, whatever, right? If there's an actual conflict, let's deal with it. But if it's just a potential conflict, do I always need to be trying to pad my ego so that it, at the end of the day, is at least intact? Even if the objective that we shared is not intact, even if our harmony with one another is not intact, at least my ego is intact because that's the most important thing, right? Well, no, of course not. Sometimes people with big egos take a very active role in exercising their egos. Sometimes people with big egos take a very passive role. So you can have the big ego person out front, always talking, always making a big show of their accomplishments, real or perceived. You can also have people with big egos refusing to participate because they're too cool for school. I'm not doing that. But you need to. Nah, don't really. I might look dumb. I might look dumb if I jump in and participate and don't know what I'm doing. And I'm afraid to admit that I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm afraid to ask for help because that would acknowledge that somebody else knows more than I do about this. I'm just not going to play. I'm not playing this game. I'm going to do nothing because that's somehow safer for my reputation, we think. We think that sometimes. Instead of earning trust, earning respect, gaining credibility, getting credit from others who are singing your praises by focusing on what needs to happen right now, what would be a value-added contribution for the people in my team, what are we about, why are we together? What is our shared goal? How do we collaborate here? Somebody else might get the credit. So what? Your team gets the credit. And if you develop a reputation for not needing the credit so much, you will also develop a reputation for being self-confident, self-assured, capable. And isn't that really what you want when you want credit? Isn't that really what you're going for? Why not just cut to the chase? Why not just skip needing everybody to recognize when you are the one that did this thing every time? Put that off to the side. Just focus on the objective that the team needs you to accomplish together right now. I would recommend to any of you unfamiliar, uninitiated, check out Extreme Ownership, The Dichotomy of Leadership, and also 
Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. I would not read Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual until I had read those first two books, but I would read those first two books. Here's the deal. Not all of us are leaders in an official capacity. Not all of us have a position of authority, a title, but all of us lead by example. All of us are led. Sometimes it's important to study management so you know how to be managed, so that you know how to help somebody who is managing you because you see what they're trying to do, even if they're not doing it perfectly or clearly, and you can support them in that. But sometimes we don't recognize all of the various ways in which we're able to influence situations and dynamics. My dad has always said that anytime you have a new person join a group, that person fundamentally changes the dynamics of the group. Always happens. One direction or another, the flavor of that group is going to change, for better or worse. Somebody comes in, big personality, boom, you're going to notice it. It's going to be palpable. It's going to be real. Whatever you guys were talking about before, you might be talking about something different from now on until this person leaves the group. Even after they leave the group, that group's never going to be the same once the guy with the big personality, the gal with the big personality walks into the room. Somebody who's very, very subdued, who's very quiet, who's very reserved, very soft-spoken, a man of few words enters a group. And we don't always think of it as having as big of an impact as the person who talks more, who says more, who is more confident, more assertive, more aggressive. But even that guy, and maybe even sometimes more that guy, changes the dynamics of the group. And so recognizing the different kinds of influence that we can exert and how to be intentional in the ways that we exercise influence and the ways that we provide leadership and example for the people around us. Recognizing that, being intentional about it, being disciplined about it, helps us as Christians in particular to honor God in every sphere, to love the Lord our God with every bit of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I want to be able to love my wife well. I want to be able to love my children well. I need to learn to lead well because I love them. I want to be able to serve my coworkers, my peers, people in other work groups, management above me. I want to be able to serve them well at work. Well, that means I need to study leadership. I need to study leadership so that sometimes I can be a better leader for them and other times I can be a better follower because that's somewhat the counterintuitive is that before you can learn to lead, you have to learn to follow. You have to learn to submit to leadership before you can recognize and empathize with the challenges that will be created by your leadership style or your habits, your good habits, your bad habits, et cetera, et cetera. Check it out. Check out the book. Check out these three books. I think you'll benefit from them. I think you'll enjoy them. That's all I got for this episode. We're going to cut it short because the last two were over 50 minutes long. We're going to make this one closer to half an hour as it ought to be. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.